This is To The Point with Marcus Amick, where we cut through all the noise to discuss the things that matter most driving the world of automotive sales. Let's get to it. As part of Rock Ed's continuing celebration of Black History Month, we wanted to dig deeper into the legacy surrounding Blacks in auto retail and the continuing impact of those legacies. It's the idea that by recognizing the groundbreaking achievements of individuals like Edward Davis, the first African-American to own a dealer franchise in Detroit, we can better grasp the importance of diversity in the industry today. To that end, this week's guest on To The Point is longtime automotive insider Randy Payton, a notable Black pioneer in the industry in his own right. In 1995, Randy launched the first major newspaper-delivered automotive magazine targeting minority car buyers. At its height, the automotive publication had a reported certified total circulation of 1.2 million. Coupled with other platforms, the company, which was renamed Decisive Media in 2009, once touted a reach of more than 10 million consumers and one of the largest annual automotive awards events of its kind. Randy is highly recognized for helping to pave the way for minorities in the field of automotive media. And in many regards, he is still considered as one of the industry's chief conservators of Black achievements in automotive. Thank you for joining us on To The Point, Randy. Thanks for having me, Marcus. So, so Randy, throughout your career in automotive media, you've always made it a point to highlight Ed Davis's story. Uh, as the first franchise automotive dealer in Detroit. What is it about his story that has made it such an important part of your efforts in the industry? Well, part of my um, my efforts in covering automotive industry um, was, was his history. History was the link that tied all races together, the love of cars. And, um, and then, um, so we were always digging up uh, 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 little known black history figures within the automotive industry. And when I discovered that Ed Davis was still living and I learned so much about his business history and 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 and, and, um, business, uh, you know, we always celebrate our civil rights leaders, but he was a business leader. I was I was amazed. So uh, based on that, um, all the information we did, we, we 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 set up established the Edward Davis Education Foundation and and uh, had a big honor in his name. And he 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 actually he actually passed when? When did Ed Davis? Ooh, uh we started the found 1996 is when we had established the foundation and then we had a big sold out event um at the uh Javis, I mean, at the uh, in at the, uh, the, the convention center in Detroit, right? Um, and we honored Ed, and I, Ed said this was the best honor he's ever had in his life. And a few months later, he passed away. Wow, 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 wow! So, so let's talk about the, the period that that Ed Davis opened his dealership, Davis Motor Sales, in 1939. Based on some of the some of the research that you've done. What what were the times like then for for blacks in automotive in Detroit? Well, not just automotive in Detroit, but um, all over the country. Um, the times were tough. I mean, we couldn't get jobs um, in in the industry. Uh, but what, what what happened is that some of the manufacturers started realizing that 
black people began to afford vehicles. Um, and so um, instead of opening up franchises in our communities, they had representatives in our community. And so Ed's first job at a Studebaker dealership, um, they would not let him work in the front showroom. He had an office in the back in the, in the, in the garage. But he outsold all the other dealers at the dealership. And so the other white dealers started asking for an office in the back in the garage. Wow. Wow. Um, Ed, Ed was also, um, Ed also personally delivered cars to his customers, you know? And that was one of the reasons why he was such a good salesman. And that matter of fact, not just in Detroit, but he came, became one of the top salesmen in the nation. Now, when you when you look back at the period he was selling cars, Randy, like at at, at the Sudebaker dealership, was it was it a matter? And you talking about him delivering the cars? Was he his clientele were they specifically black African American? Yes, most of his clients were black African Americans. Okay. Uh, keep in mind that in early early as nineteen nineteen, um, there were other dealers. Uh, I found out around the country, Homer Roberts was was a big one. In 1919, okay. and, and he uh, actually had used sold used cars mostly, but then some of the older manufacturers, which are, are, are no longer existing, actually started giving him cars to sell. So even before Ed, there were some other blacks who were selling cars in our community, but it wasn't until the whole you know um, movement, um, the migration of blacks to to Detroit to work in the plants. And Henry Ford, who decided that, you know what, I'm going to pay fair wages to blacks so they can afford to buy cars. So that by creating a whole uh, 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 fair wages, blacks were able to buy more new cars. That's when it really took off. So and is that it was around that time frame. And so it was in okay. early 1996 that he was awarded a new car franchise uh, franchise by Chrysler. Okay, so it was it was really the fact that that um, what made what made Mr. Davis's story unique was the fact that he was planted in Detroit. Yes. Okay. He was planted okay. in Detroit, and 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 keep in mind, Ed was a leader in a lot of areas. He also became the uh, only uh, well, he became he was the only black member of the Detroit Economic Club, and he became the president at a time when we couldn't even join the club. Wow. Well, now that brings me to my next question. When, when you look at when you look at the set success that 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 Ed Davis was able to have, uh, what, what do you what do you think contributed to that success? Well, first of all, I think Ed. First, of all, it was Ed himself. He was he was a pioneer and he was a business savvy businessman in in, in a lot of different areas, um, and so. Um, Selling cars was was an opportunity um, because, like I said, uh, a lot of manufacturers wanted to sell cars to us. We were a growing market. Um, and and so Ed saw that and took advantage of it. Um, and he wasn't the only one, but he was the first major uh, automotive uh, dealership. Just like today, uh, automotive manufacturers got, came to the point where they realized they needed to set up minority dealer development programs in order to attract more African-Americans, just like you see in other markets, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the top dealers that sell cars to Asians tend to be Asian dealers and have Asian folks in the showrooms who can speak and, and communicate with that culture. 
you know, um, same thing in the Hispanic communities. So that well, that brings me to, to, to one of my other questions. So when you, considering that you've been you've been covering this and been entrenched in this in this plight to get more diversity and inclusion uh, with any automotive industry for quite some time, Randy, when you look at where we are today, how do you think the industry has progressed over the time that you have been involved in the industry when it comes to the ideas of diversity and inclusion in a very authentic way? Well, um, we we had to first establish the business case for diversity and inclusion. Um, and there's always been a back and forth challenge between whether or not it's a PR effort or it's a business effort. We buy cars. Um, and so research is very important. Um, and, and that's been the big, biggest challenge that I've seen in the industry is that <clears throat> research, the data, most of uh, almost all of the research firms cannot effectively track African-Americans in middle and upper class communities who buy new cars. They, they, they base their, 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 their studies on either zip codes or surnames. And so a lot of black middle and upper income blacks don't live in white zip code, don't live in black zip codes. They live in white zip codes and they don't have names, surnames that can, they can be easily identified like Hispanics do. So in reality, it looks like those Hispanic numbers are higher because they can track them based on surnames. But a lot of the blacks who live in middle and upper, and upper income zip codes are not being tracked. So when the industry looks at the data of who's buying cars, it's not really seeing the real reality of who is actually buying their cars. That was always the challenge that that we had. So what I did is I said, you know what? Um <clears throat> We're gonna take a mag. We're gonna take our automotive magazine and we're gonna insert them in black newspapers. Why? Because most of the subscribers of black newspapers live in middle and upper income zip codes. They they don't they they subscribe because they they tend not to see the newspaper on the newsstand, you know. Right. And so they subscribe. <clears throat> and so when we did our ABC and BPA audits and stuff, we were all in all over scattered in all these white white zip codes, because that's where a lot of, of middle and upper income blacks live. So it was an effective way of reaching them, but it's from an advertising and, and business case, you know, uh, like I said, selling cars, dealers are not able to track. I mean, they cannot determine or, or, or keep track of, record the, the race of their buyers. It's against the law. So um, that's why it was so hard to get the proper research. And as you know, most marketing business decisions in the industry is based on research. Who's buying your car? So what we did, we did based on all analysis and stuff we did, we found that almost 25% of all the new cars are um, multicultural consumers. Uh, okay, and so if the industry made a bigger effort of doing more business with um, uh, the black community in terms of charity, support of our education, support of our, you know, dealerships, suppliers, um, and just building, establishing that, that the relationship like they have in the other areas, the actual annual sales volume, which was around 
at the time it was about 12 million 13 million vehicles a year and randy what real really quick what what period are we talking about in which you did the bulk of this this research from like 1995 to uh about 2008 when we had a big automotive uh, industry crash okay okay over 2008 okay so so let me ask you this when you look when you when you look at because you still have been even though that was the 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 bulk of the 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 period in which you were were entrenched in the industry um from a research perspective you have still to this you still to this day are are involved in it from covering the industry and and from a product standpoint how do you think those dynamics have changed what's the what's the sense you get of whether or not the industry has progressed from when you were doing that initial research during that period um, the sense is the sense that I get today is that it's kind of backtracking, um, whereas it, it's not as taken as seriously as it was during that time. Because keep in mind, at that time we were able, we found a way to get a lot of the CEOs and presidents engaged. I mean, from most of the auto companies worldwide, they would actually come to our award show. They would go back and make decisions right away because they saw, they touched, they felt, they saw our community. We, are, we were able to get the mainstream automotive media that a lot of these folks read to actually republish content and research and stories. Because you see, it's a lot of history that was lost and people didn't know existed. So when you build that kind of relationship, that helps to that. And, and you know, we also established diversity councils that uh, I remember Jaguar, Land Rover. We all helped put the first uh, minority dealers in place as a result of the external diversity councils. All of that was progressing, but then um, kind of like after the industry um, shut down after the 2008 uh, financial crises, diversity began to take a back seat. Um, well, let me, and so let me, a lot of minority dealers, um, a lot of the progress that was made in terms of suppliers and dealers and stuff slowed down. Well, let me ask you this. When you look at some of the initiatives that have been started recently um, within the past two years, especially um, following the, the death of George Floyd, do you see that? Do you see those as being real um, diversity and inclusion initiatives that can have an impact on some of the areas that you have, you know, you have focused on in the past? Yes, uh, they do have an impact. But keep in mind that it's more. There's always that challenge between the PR, the PR can't, the PR and 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 the business case. If you're just dealing with us from a PR case, that you got to have a good relationship because you just see it as a good charity, charity, charitable thing to do, and you don't really see the, the numbers. The numbers is the bottom line because the numbers tell talks about how many cars you sell, how much business you generate for your dealers at the dealership. Providing the content and the marketing and the building the relationships helps to build and, and, and generate income to the industry. That's what I'm talking about. So what we did with the Urban Wheel Awards is that we created, we created panels of independent journalists who judged the industry on all these different minority suppliers, dealers, and that was content. Then we brought together hundreds of media and distributed that content. And so basically we were generating content that did not exist. That content helped to build relationships. It helped to promote the industry in a variety of other ways, you know? 
And so that's what I see that's important, communication. Well, you know what? Would you say would you say if that is still somewhat of of the challenge that we face today, then that that we still to this day are facing some of the same challenges that Mr. Davis felt faced during we the did, period. That- yeah. Because we have now we have more more minority journalists. And that was a, that was a, that was a weak that was a weakness we had. We didn't have enough journalists covering the industry that could provide that content and get it to our communities, right? And so the problem we're having now is that those journalists and those media don't get the type of support that they deserve to continue to continue to do their job and to generate that content and educate consumers. How, how do you see that? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You were saying there's a link there. So, so let me ask you this. How do you see that changing the, those dynamics changing as it relates to the challenges, specifically the challenges um, as the industry undergoes this major shift with electrification? Um, let me just say this, right? Throughout the automotive history, there have been black pioneers and engineers, the inventors. A lot of them did not get that recognition. And even today, um, I get calls from, from, from African-Americans who have all types of, uh, electric, uh, inventions and ideas. You know, Hal Martin is a brother who has over, uh, Hal Martin, uh, he, he actually develops a lot of that technology. He's a pioneer. He's an inventor, you know. Um, he builds engines and, 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 and electric technology within the industry, but how many of us really know about that, you know? Um, how, many, how, how many of us know about Lewis Lattimore, who, who patented the lamp and the electric light bulb before Edison? He wrote a book on it way before Edison. And then he wants to be partnered with Edison. Ed- Edison got the credit for it. There have inventors throughout our history, the automat- the, uh, the red light, the uh, automatic transmission, automatic gear shifter were created by black men. You know, so are you, so are you saying, are you saying that, that, that one of the challenges you think that, that blacks are going to face is being significant players in, in the yes. shift to electrification? Yes, because we are very creative and engine. And there's a there's a there's a there's a uh, there's a brother in Africa who actually um, created a uh, helicopter and and a car that runs off of solar power. And another company came along and brought him out, but he was the inventor of it. He would probably never get the credit for any of it. You know, so there's still a lot of the discrimination that that is going on, um, getting recognized. Um, and, you know, people got to be careful because a lot of a lot of times when they come up with uh, blacks, come up with the inventions, The first thing they want to do is run to an automotive manufacturer and get them to sponsor or support it. And there's a whole there's hundreds of legal cases behind companies stealing people's patents. You know, well, well. Well, in closing, let me ask you this: if 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 you were if you were sending a message to the automotive industry in in regards to this new era of electrification that we're headed into, um, as it relates for the need, perhaps even more than than ever, for diversity and inclusion, what would you say? I would say to engage more 
African-Americans on your engineering, your development, your tech teams, because of to have a diverse base of um, a team of people, whether it's designers, engineers, um, also makes your, your, your car more global um, and more advanced. So, like I say, it's our engage all the cultures. Your all your customers represent all the cultures. So engage all the cultures in the development of your new technology, your design, your engineering. And how does that apply on the on the sales level? How does that apply on the retail level? Well, you saw how it applied when when when, when Ralph Giles became a, a, a designer for Chrysler, right? Uh, with the three hundred and all of that. Um, we just, you know, um, it might make your car more appealing to, 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 uh, a wider variety of customers. What about what? And I think, uh, I'm thinking a little bit more specifically as it relates to in the retail space. Like if you were, if, if you were talking about or building on that idea of why you think diversity and inclusion is, important when it comes to engineering and designing vehicles that have global appeal. How does that idea apply to the automotive retail space? How does that apply to the, the idea uh, of selling of, cars? Automotive retail space, you got to have a good network of dealers and um, that's rep- reflective of all the customers, not just in your showroom, but you, but in terms of ownership. Because those owners are more likely to be able to engage the community. Majority of people run out and they buy used cars. If you engage, but they can afford new cars and they're credit worthy. But they may not have the education or information to let them know that purchasing this new car with this new safety technology will save your life, will keep your children alive. You got to get close and you got to engage the community Dealers are one way, having a dealer good debt network, but also supporting the media in those markets, you know, so they can provide the education, the content and the information, just like you're doing right now. Great. One, one more, one more question, um, Randy, um, based on the, the time that you had to spend with, with Mr. Davis, what is the most memorable takeaway you have from having a conversation with him? Oh man, Mr. Davis was one of the most humble, humble men that I've known. You know, he didn't seek, you know, reputation and, and, and all of that. But we, 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 we had to give it to him. You know, he he became um, and so one of one of our, 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 our the biggest initiatives that we instituted was to get him inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame, and and did and they they did induct. He became the first African American to be inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame. Where today the, the bust that we created of Mr. Davis and and some of the historical archives still exist. Wow, what an experience! Well, Randy, I want to thank you again for taking the time to to give us some insight on not only Mr. Davis and what what it was like for him during the period that he actually was in automotive, but also the challenges that that the industry still faces when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Thank you, Marcus. Now, back to the noise. Oh, 